start it today. It's going to last six weeks, and I'm calling this series The Radical Middle. The Radical Middle. Before we get into it, I just want to take a couple of minutes and say thank you for last Sunday. Um, when uh, we, the weeks go by quick these days, don't they? So Sundays come and we have our time together and, and then I get done and, and I'm always like, whether, you know, the next one's coming quick. There's stuff to do and messages to write and to get ready for. And, but I just want to take a second and say last week there was a lot going on. There was a lot of moving parts to our Sunday service. But I just want you to know that my family and I uh, just love you guys. And we felt super loved last week. We felt honored and and uh, just wanted you to know, we just it took all week to like think about what a cool Sunday it was. And uh, if you were here last week or if you've been part of the bridge, I, I think um, the Lord might say to us, there are certain things in life that happen and it's good to plant a flag there and go back and remember every once in a while. I think last Sunday was one of those. And um, just something that you should go back and look at and just be like, yeah, this is what's true. This is what's good in the world. These are the things that we want to meditate on and dwell upon that that keep us moving forward. So Josh and Jade, um, love you guys. Thank you for sharing your stories last week. I know that that, um, it says in Revelation that we will overcome the devil and death and darkness by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus and the power of your testimony. And last week, your testimonies that you shared were real powerful. They were life-changing and uh, not just for you but for many others. So thank you all for sharing and uh, we love you. So, the radical middle. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, so much, you are so good that we're going to say when the chips are up and when the chips are down, we thank you because you don't go up and down with the seasons of our lives. You are always good, you are always true. And you are always in love with us. May we know that as we open up your word. It is not to tell us how bad we are, but how good you are, Jesus. So we open your word right now. Would you flood our hearts with your love and your truth and your purposes in our lives and in this world? In Jesus' name, amen. We are a dissatisfied people. We are a dissatisfied culture. We are in many ways a dissatisfied world. Marketing 101. While there are many strategic things that you think about in the marketing world, it basically is this, tell the people what they want by showing them what they need, and at the end of the day, by telling them who they can be. We all have this need in our lives that we are searching for, meaning and purpose. Because a lot of us, most of us, I would say all of us, 
have the feeling of dissatisfaction in our current reality. You know when you wake up on a Tuesday and you're like, it's Tuesday. I'm thankful for my job, but I don't want to go to work. I'm thankful for this, but I don't want to do it. I love my family, but they drive me crazy. There's this sense of, I don't say that, some of you guys do. There's this sense of dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction. I am not satisfied. I am not content. I am not where I should be. I am not where I thought I'd be. There's all these I am nots. And when we sense that as people, the world around us tells us the answer to our current problem is found somewhere else. You need uh, a new bike. Oh, your, your bike, it's just not up to current standards. You need, you actually, what you need is a new bike. You'll ride better. We know this as kids. How are those new shoes? There are, are you fast? <laughs> yeah. I'm so fast. And then we were like, let me see. And the kid takes off and you're like, wow, those shoes are so fast. But it's ingrained. I need to be faster. New shoes will do the trick. I need to feel better. A new truck will do the trick. I need to feel satisfied. A new relationship actually will do the trick. I need, so I get. I feel, so I want. We need a different job, a new relationship, a new experience, a new toy. So here's the thing. You go to the next job when you feel unsatisfied, unfulfilled, uncontent. You move to the other place, to the next. You go to the next relationship, out with the old, in with the new. Or you just, whatever the new thing is, you go to the new thing or... You go back to the time when everything was okay. Your escape becomes this place of not what lies ahead, but something that was back. So you spend your entire energy. I just got to get back to Cali. Somebody got that joke. Going back to Cali. I got to get back to when I didn't have responsibility. Back before wife and kids back before it was hard back before you you still have that you apply the same logic to your current problem but it's backwards the problem is whenever you get to that new place the problems are there too why you're the problem you have the problem you're taking it with you The solution wasn't found in the place. The solution is actually, as we're going to see, is found in something else. Let me give you a quick personal example. When I was a kid, when I kind of got involved in making some really bad choices, um, especially with drugs and stuff like that, I was a freshman in high school. I was the age that my oldest son is now. And that's when I was introduced to a lifestyle that um, was really destructive especially as I look back on it later, it screwed my life up. And apart from God's grace, I don't know if I would even be here to be talking to you all because of the choices and people that 
I was running with at one time that are no longer here. But just different things. But I remember going down, and so I just I thought, I got to get out of here um, because I had burned all these bridges in this one place in my life. So I just needed a fresh start where I could go and no one knew me. The problem was is most of these bridges in this new place were burned within six months. Why? Because I took all my problems with me because I was the problem. My uncontent, unfulfilled, looking to escape was going to follow me everywhere I went. That's why... You can buy all the stuff, and you have buyer's remorse. You can, get the new tr- you can get the new whatever, and four months later, you're just like, you still have all the problems. There's something missing. What we're looking that thing for that thing to fulfill could never fulfill. There's no depth. There's no ultimate meaning. There's nothing of substance of what we're actually looking for. There's a TikTok going around, and I actually love it because it is, everyone shares it, but it basically is this. It's this person looking, whatever their new device is, they pull it out and they look at their new toy, whatever we're talking about, and they said, you better fix my entire world. You know what I mean? There's just this sense like you better do what I bought you to do. This is the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what is going on. King Solomon is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to open up to it, you can. It's about, I don't know, halfway through the Bible, right after Psalms. Psalms is kind of right in the middle. So if you open to Psalms, after Psalms, there's the book of Proverbs. After Proverbs, there's the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is called uh, wisdom literature, poetry literature. We're going to read Ecclesiastes differently than we're going to read the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is a historical account. Jesus said this, then Jesus went there. This is different. This is like reading poetry. King Solomon wrote the book. King Solomon, the Bible tells us that he had, he was a man of great wisdom. As a matter of fact, when he took over the kingdom from his dad, King David, David and Goliath, that David, his son, born out of wedlock of all places, they're part of the ups and downs of of life and all of this stuff. He wasn't this sinless child from a sinless family, he was just a a kid born into a kingdom. Turns out part of his story is he was going to inherit this kingdom. He inherits the kingdom. God says to him, Solomon, what would you have me give to you? And Solomon could ask for anything you want. You know what he asked God? He said, please help me to lead these people because I don't know how to do it. And it says you can read about it in 1 Kings um, chapter 3 maybe. But God says, that's an amazing thing that you asked Solomon. Because you could have asked for riches. You could have asked for all this stuff. But instead, you asked for wisdom. As a matter of fact, that's the best thing that you could have asked for. So he said, God tells Solomon, I'm going to give you wisdom. And it says, Solomon possessed wisdom like no one who was ever before him or would come after him. 
So you, so that's why some people say Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. Well, Jesus was wiser. But you could say Solomon was gifted beyond regular gifting for wisdom and understanding and philosophy. And he was a smart guy. He was gifted by God to understand things. He was Israel's most prosperous king. He was the, the, the under his 40-year reign, Israel's territory was never bigger. The budget was never more in the, was never more balanced. The gold never flowed like it did under Solomon's time. He was the one who built the temple of God that existed. And that's the one that you see in the New Testament that um, actually, anyways, he was the one that built the temple that God gave the plans to his father. Solomon saw it through. People traveled. You can read about this in 1 Kings. You can read about it in Chronicles. Go just Google King Solomon. See where it talks about in the Bible. You can read his life in some more narrative context of the Bible where it says this king was, then he did this, and then there was this king. But Solomon gets a lot of, he gets a lot of play in the Old Testament. But he was a good king. The nation killed it when he was ruling. The most vast kingdom. He was the last king of the united, of the unified 12 tribes and territories of the nation Israel. When his son took over, things went downhill fast. But a lot of it has to do with even though Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived, he was too wise for his own good. And he, like many of us, started looking for things to give him fulfillment and joy in experiences and relationships. And so it actually tells us in Kings or Chronicles that Solomon's heart eventually, as he got older, turned away from the Lord. You know what turned Solomon's heart, the wisest person who ever lived? You know what turned his heart away from God? Sex. Women. The need for pleasure. And when we look at Ecclesiastes, we see a man who lived the human existence as lavishly as any person could. Some people would say this. Whatever he said, it, whatever my heart desired, I went for it. He didn't dabble in the things of life that bring pleasure. He jumped in with both feet. He marched up to the high dive and sent a swanee off of it into as far down every path as you could go in the, in the search for pleasure and understanding and life apart from God. And that's what Ecclesiastes does. It takes a very deep and very public assessment of Solomon it's going to look at his life and the world around him and his attempt to make sense of everything as he saw it that's very key make sense to everything as he saw it there's two important terms in the book of Ecclesiastes one you're going to see 39 times 29 times You're going to see this 29 times in the book. So it's worth jotting down and being mindful because we're going to give you guys these. 
Did you guys get, did these get passed out to you guys? These are bookmarks. Are they on the back? Do you have them? After church, yeah, why don't you just hand them out and we'll pass them around. You guys can pass out stuff and say focus at the same time. I believe in you. We're going to pass out bookmarks. These bookmarks have the reading plan that's going to go along with our study in Ecclesiastes. It's a six-week study. There are 12 chapters to the book. So each week, I'm asking you to read multiple times the first two chapters. This week will be the first two chapters. And then the next week, read the next two chapters. That way, when we're meeting as life groups, because I know we're all plugged into a life group, especially after last week and seeing all this going on, you all just rushed to the back and signed up for a life group. So good job. And um, this will give us the stuff that we're going to talk about in these next coming weeks. So I like bookmarks because I'm a Bible underliner. And... Um, but the, my, the lines in your Bible are real close together. There's nothing worse than under, trying to underline something and you cross it out. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, and then I get all weird in my head. I'm like, you just crossed out the word of God. And then, then I was like, no, I didn't. I was trying to underline it. That's new underlining, strike through. So anyways, you can underline stuff and you can see right here, the V and the M for each one. V is a verse that stuck out to you while you were reading. The M is what does that mean? Meaning. Verse, meaning. Week two, chapters three and four. Verse, meaning. So as you read through, there's something that's going to stick out. God's going to show you something. And you're going to write that down. And he's going to tell you what it means. You're going to write that down. You're going to share it at life groups and see if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you what the Holy Spirit was speaking to Solomon, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the other person next to you in your life group. And we're going to grow. And so make sure you take those those bookmarks. Okay, here's a couple of important terms. The first one is this, life under the sun. Life under the sun. This is life on a, on a linear plane. This is life apart from God and his rule. This is the human existence. Maybe you've heard of the term secular humanism. This is, this is it's up to us. We evolved into this. We have what we have on this earth. Our 74 years is the average lifespan um, currently. So we have these years. So make the most of it because this is what you get. That's what Sol when Solomon says life under the sun, that's what he's talking about. It's important that we understand that. You're born. You live. You do some stuff. You die. Life under the sun. And here's the other term that we need to keep in mind. It's the term vanity. Or maybe your translation says meaningless. Um, this, this term, it, it, what's my word? This, this word exists 37 times in the book. So 29 times it talks about life under the sun. 37 times it talks about meaninglessness, vanity. It actually, it's a word picture. It means to grab, grab a hold of something and have nothing to show for it. Makes me think of the two, you know the two uh, things down by the water where there's smoke constantly coming out of them from the old GP uh, plant down there? And that it, the smoke looks really thick, but it's just water vapor. It's like you look like, oh man, you could feel that, but it's like grabbing smoke is what Isaiah, or is what Solomon is saying. Vanity. It means that it's pointless. It's like grabbing, it means vapor. 
it looks like something, but it's nothing. He's going to talk about some stuff that it's the belief of that thing will be the thing, but every time it seems to elude your grasp. You go to grab onto it, and it slips through your fingers. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses. It says this, All is vanity. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. Remember, when the Bible says something twice in a row, it's like double exclamation point. It's a type of style of writing in their language. It means this is important. So when he says vanity of vanities, he's like total Nothing could be more meaningless. He's being uh, dramatic on purpose. What does man, verse 2, verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down, Monday, Tuesday, And it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and round goes the wind. And on its circuits the winds return. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not, so here's the first underlined thing that I underlined in my reading of the, of this, of Ecclesiastes this time, this one. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. But there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Verse 1, the words of the preacher. Ecclesiastes means preacher. This word preacher has a few, you can break it down in a few ways, but it actually might even be better translated, the searcher and the collector. The one who searched and collected. He was collecting experiences and he was searching for the meaning of life and it tells us he was searching apart from God. And then he says, under the sun. So what I want to do is I want to put a picture to this to help us see what's going on. So he says, we are born. That's what the B stands for. We go through life. There's some, there's some ups, there's some downs, especially in early life because our kids are emotional. And then... There's some more ups and downs, and then maybe there's a big achievement in life. Mount Baker, 
Nice. Sometimes, isn't it true, after a big achievement, there's like a big valley. Then it kind of, we try to get in later life, there's some achievements, some, some valleys. Maybe we lose someone that we love at some point. The goal, though, is that we could like live where things are just pretty good. And then there's, at the end, R.I.P. So this is what Solomon is saying. Under the sun. So we have our little son up here. We're born. We do some stuff. And then we die. The thing is, is this is Solomon's life, but we're all on here too. So I was talking, I was in here the other day working on my, my message. Because I'm not a drawer, so I actually practice this. So if it's real bad, no, think about how worse it would have been if, if I didn't practice. But I'm in here, and Dante was in here. Do you guys know Dante is a little stud? He goes to the church. And uh, he's seven. And uh, he was watching me practice. And um, I go, Dante, if you looked at this lifeline, I said, where do you think you would be? And he actually, he said he was right here. That's a D. And he's pretty right on. He'd be about there. Now, this is going to get real, real as I go through this. And then I started thinking about my, my boys. So 11 and 14, Ollie and Jonah. The reality is, you know, they're somewhere, somewhere in here. I'm going to say, oh, no, we're going to do J. Oh, because OJ <laughs> just sounds wrong. Okay. So we'll call those guys here. And then we have some of our 20-somethings in here. I love you guys, and I, you know who you are. So we're going to put you guys, we're going to put you guys in here, 20s. Maybe we have our 30s, searching for accomplishment. Maybe me, I was, when I first drew this, the mountaintop was more in the middle, but let's put me right here. I'm 44. So I'm right here. Okay, 40s. Midlife crisis time. You guys know the drill. Looking for meaning. Then there's this thing that's like it's meaningless. And so we buy a Miata and get a divorce. Right? Okay, and so then you have your, we'll call, we'll call 50s. This one's out. Let's try, we'll go 50s. Um, is it 60s? Okay, we're going to stop there. And so on and so forth. Now, we're not just on there, but now your kids are on there. Maybe your grandkids are on there. Your parents, maybe. It's weird getting older and then your parents getting older. It's like this new thing you have to navigate. That's another hard thing. But we have, this is life under the sun. The thing is, is you can't escape this. We all walk this timeline. We're all born. We're all going to die. It's the most guaranteed thing that there is. It's going to happen. 
But we're all asking the same questions, whether you're seven or 70. We're asking these questions. What is the point? Got to get up. Time for school. Why? They're actually asking, what's the point? It's not, and then there are certain things in high school where we, even as parents, we say, just take the test. You'll never use that, actually. <laughs> but the point is, is they're learning how to listen. They're learning how to remember. There are things that are deeper. I was talking to one of our teachers that goes to the bridge here, and she's talking about teaching her kids there's a bigger point than the, than the subject matter at hand. But she recognizes that. Thank God for teachers like this in our school systems because they're building our youth. But the kids are asking, what's the point? Or they're asking, what about this one? What's after this? What happens? Is that it? Is there something else? Do we just get our X amount of years and so I'm just going to live for now? This question, I would say, doesn't get asked nearly as much as it should. You know why? We're distracted. As long as you keep it, the bread and circuses of life. Bread and circuses is a term that was coined during the Roman Empire when they were making slaves of people and, and conquering, and, and the rich got richer, and the, the people in the streets were dying. But here's what the Caesar said. Let's give them bread and circuses. So they filled the Colosseum, and they had gladiators fight, and it was entertainment. Because the more entertained people will be, the, the less they'll think about how miserable life is and what, what true meaning comes from. So, bread and circuses. Uh, we're also asking, what does what is fulfilling? What do I really want? How about this one? Who am I? Who loves me? Because if in this relationship I don't find love, then there must be someone else out there who loves me. So I need to go find that person. And then you go find that person, and you do some, you hang out for a while, and then you realize it's actually hard. Relationships are hard. Maybe that person doesn't love me. Maybe, the, but we're all asking these questions. What is the meaning of it all? This is something that I, I talk to my kids about. So Ollie's in middle school, sixth grade. Jonah's in high school. But I tell them stuff like this. You guys, the stuff that you're going through, and kiddos, listen to me, please. The stuff that you're going through now is the exact same stuff that we are going through here. Doesn't change. It just gets more expensive, and the consequences are more severe. We're, they're asking the same questions. Who loves me? Am I popular? Why, what do I need to do for people to like me? So if, if you guys can, at a young age, get a grasp on some of these things, you are going to be light years ahead of the world around you as you get older. Did you know that that's God's design for your life? Parents, did you guys know that we're not just called to help our kids survive? We're actually called to teach them to thrive. In this world that's coming up, we are scared as parents a lot of times. What's it going to be like? We don't know. Life under the sun can get really depressing, but God wants to help us as we navigate this. 
This is Ecclesiastes. One of this, uh, my favorite Bible teachers and, and stuff, his name is Skip Heidzig. Such a good teacher. He wrote a book that I love. Uh, it's called The Bible from 30,000 Feet. If any of you are like students of Scripture and you love God's Word uh, like me, but you want to be more of a student, The Bible from 30,000 Feet is rad. He takes the books at a 30,000-foot view and writes some stuff. But he wrote about Ecclesiastes. He wrote this. Um, he said, Ecclesiastes is Solomon's journal. We're going to look at Solomon's journal. And he broke it down into three things. He called it chapters 1 through 4 are Solomon's search. Solomon's search. Chapters 5 through 10 are Solomon's sayings. Solomon's sayings. And then chapters 11 and 12 are Solomon's solutions. Now that's about as good a breakdown, linear, a linear breakdown that I could find. Because here's why. This book is all over the place. It's up, it's down, it's like reading someone's journal. It meanders a bit. And you don't study it like a linear story, but rather like a collection of sayings. Here's actually, in those first 11 verses that I read you, this is what Solomon is actually saying. We need to see this, this linear thing. But he actually says, we start here, we go down this journey of life, but it actually ends up back where we started. Did you hear him say? It's circular. He says, you're born, this stuff, you die. There's a generation, and then there's another generation coming. The, the rain goes, the rivers flow into the sea, the sea is never full, the clouds pick up the rain, the water cycle, right? The clouds pick up the rain, they take it back in, and then they rain it back down. They, they have feelings, clouds, they could. But it rains back up in the mountains, and then it does again. He actually says, life is like a cycle. It's like a circle. You start out with nothing, naked. Have you ever heard, from the dust we came, the dust we shall return? That's Ecclesiastes. Naked I came into this world. That's actually Job, but same thing. So he says, we start here. We start moving in this direction. And then we do some stuff. Chapter 12, when you get to the end, he actually says, your body's going to break down. He says, your back isn't as strong as it once was. He actually talks about your teeth falling out. Then he comes to this place where you come back here. He actually says it's a circle. You sort of end where you started. What's the point? That's what he says. The thing I love about Solomon in this book is he is brutally honest. But he's brutally honest with himself. He deconstructed his faith very publicly. If someone now goes through a kind of a crisis of faith, a lapse of faith, the world stands back and points the finger. But God saw it as an opportunity to teach us generations later from the wisest person who ever was, but we're not going to learn from his successes. We're going to learn from some of his failures. When he deconstructed his faith very publicly, he found that there was something missing. So Solomon's search, you know where he searches? Inward. He does what the world says to do, and here's what he concluded. The more inward he looked, 
the more disillusioned and depressed he became. I'm giving you fair warning because if you read Ecclesiastes with the wrong framework, you're going to get really bummed out. And you're going to be like, yeah, what is the point? Because of the way he writes and understanding that he's looking apart from God. This is some of the stuff he says. Time and chance, they happen to all. Death comes to everybody. As he looks around, he says, some people are oppressed while others seemingly flourish. Good people lose and bad people win. No matter how much fame you get, no matter how much wealth you acquire, no matter how strong you are, eventually your body breaks down, your mind slows down, your teeth fall out, and then you die alone. What a bummer. This guy would not be someone to invite to the party. He learned all of this and wrote all of this late in his life when he had been down all these paths that we're going to look at for the next few weeks. This is actually what he concluded. Life is not a linear plane, and it's not just a circle apart from God, but life lived alone, searching for meaning under the sun, actually was a downward spiral. And when you got to the very, um, what's the center of the Tootsie Pop? The, to the Tootsie Roll? No, the Tootsie Pop. How many licks does it take to get to the center, the, the caramely center of the Tootsie Pop? Nobody knows. The owl said it was three. Here's the hard part. It's true. So we're going to watch someone who didn't just dabble, but actually rode that wave as far as you could ride it, as deep as you could go. You know why some of those testimonies, or those two guys last week, they were talking in place of destitution. They were destitute. They had ridden their personal waves about as far as you could go. And Jade said something last week. He goes, I was, you know, in jail, taking a shower in lukewarm water, going just like, how did I get here? And God spoke to him. And thank you, man. I'm going to remember this forever. And God said, this is a gift. That is not a, that is not under the sun. That's apart from Life as it played out on the linear plane, prison. But when God spoke, he changed his perspective. Actually, this is a gift. Who knows what would have happened if he hadn't been locked up? May not be sitting here right now. But God used that stuff to teach him something. And here he is. So Solomon is saying every time he did something, he ended there. And when he got there, it was meaningless. It was vanity. In Solomon's search, but in Solomon's search for meaning, he picked up some gold along the way. We just need to recognize it. There's gold in this book. There is gold in there. Here's the problem. If you read it like this, just story, you run right over it. But Solomon, the collector, he picked up some gold along the way. And when you're reading, 
my, my encouragement to you is that you would pick up this goal. Let me give you just a couple. Ecclesiastes, because it says, interwoven in this book are what we call well-driven nails. Look at chapter 12, verse 11. It says, the words of the wise are like goads. What is a goad? Think of it like this. It's like a nail firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Well-driven nails. If you put a well-driven nail into a wall, you can hang some serious weight off of it. The three well-best-driven nails of all time held our Lord up there, who paid for the sin of the world. But this is what it's saying. These little pieces of gold that you're going to find throughout here, they will hold you together because the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will give you direction and strength and life and renewal. Look at a few of them. Chapter 3, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. These are ones that really a lot to me. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. Better is a handful of, one handful of quietness than two handfuls of striving, toil and striving after the wind. How many of you need to hear that today? How many of you actually believe that though? Better is one handful, simplicity, than two handfuls of chaos, the American dream. Do you believe it? Four, six. Um, no, excuse me, 413. Better was a poor, wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Oh, we love to talk about the youth is wasted on the young. As you get old, it is, he says in the back. Oh, they, they don't have it together. Oh, yeah? How are you doing? Do you know how to take advice? Do you have a humble spirit or have you arrived and they need to get where you're going? Ah, Solomon says better, better is a poor youth who's willing to learn than someone who's already arrived. So the Bible calls that a spirit of pride. That's a gold nugget if you're willing to stop and pick it up. How about this one? This, that, actually, this one here, this is why I did this whole series. I couldn't get, I, I couldn't get past this verse. And then I started digging into Ecclesiastes, and this is, this is where we are. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, because whether he eats little, uh, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let them sleep. You need to think about that for a while. I was thinking about someone who gets up in the morning, does what is in front of him to do that day, whether he's... 14 or 40 or whatever. And I'm saying he because I applied this to me and then I talked to my boys about it. You get up in the morning, you do what is in front of you that day to do to the best of your ability. And then you come home and you be with your family and you have a meal and you realize this is it, man. This is the good stuff. It's a life of simplicity versus the person who wants it all, who tries to attain it all under the sun, apart from what God would do in their life. And it says they can't rest. 
Why are we so stressed out? I think we're about to find out some answers. Why are we so unfulfilled? Uh, maybe we're looking for the wrong things. There is more going on than what you can see with your eyes on this linear plane. Apart from God, you can only see what you can see. Apart from God, you can only experience what you can experience. But the radical middle, that's where we want to live. The radical middle is not found in attaining something. It's actually realizing that no matter where you are, you're at a connection point. Let's go with blue. You're at a connection point. See, there's life under the sun. But if you realize that there's something else going on completely, you know, God is outside of time. He wasn't born, there is no middle, and he doesn't die. So he's not affected by time. He's not affected by generations. He's not affected by what was, what is, or what's coming. It says he's always the same. It'll blow your mind, and it'll take a lifetime to figure out, but it just is. God is God. So what we're seeing in Ecclesiastes is that no matter where you are, whether you're, Solomon was probably, you know, somewhere in here when he was writing this. Some people say that he went off the deep end um, somewhere in here, maybe had a midlife crisis, and he's coming to the conclusion. He wrote Proverbs when he was young and optimistic, and he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was old and crudgety. So, but, so Solomon is here. What he's saying is the radical middle is knowing that not striving for what we're going to get by the time we're here, but it's constantly realizing that we don't just live life on a vertical plane, but there is a, or a horizontal plane, but there is a vertical. I'm calling these connection points. <clears throat> that we need to understand Dante. Actually, our kids know this. They're being reminded of it right now. They don't have to go to a certain place to meet with God. They don't have to attain a certain thing for God to love them. Actually, they don't have to close their eyes when they pray. They don't have to fold their hands when they pray. They don't have to be the best at something. But the, no matter where they are, they're perfectly positioned to have a connection with God. This is the difference between the downward spiral that we find ourselves on when we say, if I could just make $150,000 a year, everything will be fine. The truth is, you, it won't be fine. You might be able to buy some more stuff, but you're going to find new problems that weren't your old problems. If I could just do this, then I would be. That's always living on the linear, going this way. If I could just get here, then I'll be better. What we see in Ecclesiastes is that no matter where we are, we are perfectly placed to find a connection. We don't have to go forward. We don't have to go back. It's the middle of the mess. It's the middle of the journey. It's the middle of the brokenness. Because when, you're, when you pursue fulfillment, you're always going to chase it. I started out smoking a joint, and then it turned into this, and then it turned into that. It felt good, so I kept going. I had... A relationship, young, and then they left me, but it felt good to be loved, so I found another relationship. When you're chasing, when you're pursuing pleasure, 
your always uh, fulfillment through pleasure, it never ends. But when you pursue Jesus, fulfillment comes no matter where you are. Do you see the difference? You don't have to go to a place to find it. It's already there. So that's why we need this book. That's why I spent all this time to lay out the whole book in front of us this morning so we can see this is the framework you need to keep in mind when you're reading Ecclesiastes. Because you're going to read it and you're going to be like, okay, is this good or is this good? Is this bad? What is the gold nugget? What is Solomon saying? Remember, one of the best ways to learn what to do is by learning what not to do. What would you do different than what your parents did? Well, I would do this different. I would do this different. This is why we need to watch someone ask very hard questions of himself Watch him take a deep dive into the meaning of his life so we can look at ours. We know that we don't just need the linear answer, but that God operates. We want to look at it like this. This is cheesy, and I'm sorry, but it's what I, how I want to end. We want to learn how to live not under the sun, but in the sun. Ecclesiastes, learning to live in the sun. So when you start it this week and you start reading, keep that in the back of your mind or on the front of your page. This is what we're learning. It's not about what we can see. It's about what God can see. And it's going to help us as we go through. So let's pray. Let's sing this last song. You guys can come up and and pull the board off uh, here in just a sec. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, I want to thank you, Lord, that that you have given us all the things that we need and you have placed us perfectly for this morning to have a connection point with you. I I look out and I see the many different life circumstances and there is no person in this room that is better suited to connect with you than another based on their under-the-sun life. It doesn't matter where you woke up this morning. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drove to get here this morning. It doesn't matter. There is nothing on that linear plane that has anything to do with who is better, better suited to have a connection with you, God. It's about who is willing and searching for connection. We are all perfectly placed for you to speak to us and, and to intervene And what you are saying is, would we receive what you have to say? I want to thank you for Solomon's public uh, breaking down of his life and meaning and searching for all of that because it's, it, it's already helped us. It has helped many people over these th- uh, couple thousand years And uh, 3,000 years, I think. And then it's going to continue to help people. But may we take these, uh, these words to heart. Lord, because we, we need, uh, we need a readjusted um, framework from the way that we look at stuff. So Lord, would you continue to speak to us even this week as we start to read this on our own. 
Would you receive this song as worship because we love you and we thank you for today, Lord. And we pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.